My name is Kent, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my hope and prayer that the Spirit does fall upon us in this time of worship. We know that oftentimes the way the Spirit stirs up things in us is by God's Word, and that's why we've been focusing so much time on dwelling in God's Word, because we recognize that as we dwell in the Word of God, then the Word dwells in us, and it starts to shape us and form us. So we're going to do that by looking at this parable that Bruce mentioned from Matthew chapter 7. So I'd like to invite you to open your Bible, if you would, and turn to Matthew 7. So we're in the New Testament, the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 7. And I'm actually going to start reading with verse 21, Matthew 7, 21. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. And I think this must be a case of great minds think alike, because I can't read this passage without thinking of the song that Bruce sang for us, right? We actually learned it with actions. Did you learn it this way too? Foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the rains came a-tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the sand went splat. (laughs) That's how we learned it. And I think even as a kid, I like these kinds of stories because they're simple and they're clear, right? The kind of story that gives you like a real clear decision you got to make. It's going to be one way or the other. And it seems like that happens a lot. I can think of other examples. I'm going to see how well you do with this. There's up or down, right or in or stop or heads or Red pill or blue pill, okay. Take it or, all right, good. Install or, ah, this is one I never quite get. It's either install or remind me later, and I'm not sure why that's the only two choices you get. (laughs) Speak up or, Oh, I didn't think of that one. I always learned it as speak up or forever hold your peace, I guess, is the way I learned it. Okay, so the Bible has regularly given us these really clear options, and it's one or the other. 
Sheep or goats? Wide gate or narrow gate? Broad path or narrow path? Good tree with good fruit or bad tree with bad fruit? This is a case of that kind of example. Foolish builder or wise builder? What's it going to be? The implication of these biblical choices, it seems to me, is that there are options, and one option is clearly superior to the other option. And the scriptures are trying to give us a sense of that. Foolish builder with no foundation, that's bad. Wise builder on the foundation of a rock, that's good. So when I'm given a clear option like this, it makes me wonder, where am I? Which option am I taking? Which path am I headed down? Which gate am I going toward? And to answer that question this week, I spent some time dwelling in this passage in Matthew chapter 7, trying to think about, you know, what are the implications? What's it really saying about this? So I read the passage. I prayed through the passage. I sang through the passage. And I started to wonder if it's possible to tell the difference of the two houses under like normal conditions. If you just look at the houses, is there any way to tell the difference? Now, it seems to me as I'm reading and meditating on Matthew chapter 7 that just looking at the two houses under normal conditions, they kind of look the same, right? I maybe can't really tell the difference. They both look like they're pretty good. And if I limited my inspection to looking at above the ground, I might be tricked into thinking one of them is better than the other. I might even like the house on the sand better. Because, you know, as I'm looking at this house, I see that it's got, you know, maybe an extra bedroom, it's got high-end finishes, maybe it's in a really good neighborhood, maybe it's got a view of the ocean. That'd be a really great house, wasn't it? So if I just look at the house and don't go too deep into this, I might be tricked under normal circumstances to think these houses are equal. So then I thought, well, maybe I've got to dig a little bit deeper. I've got to look maybe at the foundation underneath the house. So I go and I see that one of them is built on sand and that's it. The other one has a really good foundation. Even now, under normal conditions, I might still be tricked into thinking, it doesn't really matter. You know, the sun is shining. I got that extra bedroom and I got that view of the ocean, so why not take this house on the sand? This looks like it's a better house under normal conditions. So then I realize I maybe have to look a little bit deeper and the writer of this passage actually changes the conditions of the story from like normal, bright, sunshiny day to storm. And as we start to recognize the rains are coming down and the wind starts to blow and the waters start to rise, then I wonder, does the foundation matter? Is the house built on something that's going to stand the test of time? When Hurricane Harvey hits, do I want a house with a good foundation? Wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came a-tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the rock stood firm. Here's another choice I'm wondering about. 
how we're wired as people. Are you a carrot or a stick person? You know what I mean by that. The picture is the donkey's trying to get the donkey to move so you can dangle a carrot out in front of him. Or you can take the stick and you can whack him on the backside, right? Are you the kind of person that's motivated by the promise of a reward, a treat, and that's going to get you moving? Or do you need someone to come behind you and whack you? What are you like? We took a little survey on the app about this and we actually found, I was actually surprised, I'm a carrot person all the way. Give me the reward and that'll get me moving. I'm ready to go. Don't hit me with a stick. I thought everybody was a carrot person, but we asked the question which one you are, and it turns out that about 60% of the people who took this survey were carrots, but about 40% of them were sticks. They're like saying, hit me, hit me and I'll get going, right? I need to know. It seems like this story that Jesus is telling in Matthew 7 has a little bit of both the carrot and the stick, right? The stick is, hey, you know what? You want to build your house on the sand? Well, then when the storm comes, does that get you motivated? For the stick people, I think that would. Go, yeah, I don't want to have to like, go rebuild and start over, so I'm not going to build on the sand. But the picture for the carrot people is the house stands firm. I don't know if that motivates you, but that starts to motivate me. I start to think about, I want to survive the storms of life. I want to survive when trouble comes. I want to stand firm no matter what might blow my way. Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down and the streams rose, And the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was strong. So build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. So build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. So build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the rain came a-tumbling down. So I'm thinking about how this applies to us as a congregation, a group of people, followers of Christ, and it seems to me that it really applies to our vision of like we're trying to make disciples. And one of the ways that we've been focused on this month is if we want to grow as disciples, one of the things we want to do is we want to be daily, diligently dwelling in the Word. And so we gave you some tools the last few weeks of kind of a guideline of how you might do that and then some daily readings that you could use if you're not in that habit. And our goal was that by the end of the month, we wanted to increase the amount of dwelling. And so I'm curious how that's going. Are you willing to admit this week how many of you felt like you had an increase in dwelling in the last three weeks? More dwelling than you had before this series. Let me see it. Okay. I've had a number of people have come talk to me, and some of them said something like, I've never done this ever, never had a routine or a discipline of daily reading, and they've started it, so I was thrilled about that. I've had some others who were doing this, but sporadically. They lacked discipline. They just didn't do a daily thing. That's kind of the boat I was in, so I've been daily doing this, so it's been in uh, growth for me. I've other people who have been doing this, but just not as much as they wanted to, so they've been doing more. So each of those is a win. I think we're spending more time So again, there's a tool in your bulletin this morning. Take that home. You can read some ideas about how to practice dwelling. And then there's some specific passages you can dwell in this week. I got one uh, example sent through me by email this week of someone who was sharing about their experience. 
And they were doing it on the day we were meditating on Philippians 4.8. Remember that passage? Whatever's good, whatever's true, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's noble. If anything is praiseworthy, think about these things. This is what the person said. I'm meditating on the scripture today from Philippians 4.8. What if this really was our focus for each day? That's the question that she was asking. It would really make a difference in my attitude, my interactions with others. I need the words, but realize as soon as I end my devotions, I move on. I don't put this into practice. So she coupled her dwelling in the word, her reading in the word with doing two things. First, she printed out the verse and framed it and set it by her computer so she could see it all day long. That's a beautiful picture of what we mean by dwelling. That this isn't just like a one-off thing, like I'm done, check it off for the day. It's like something that we come back to time and time again. We rem- uh, meditate, remember, ruminate from last week. We come back to it over and over again. And then the second thing that she did was she started in her daily journal a gratitude list, listing these eight attributes and then writing something by each one as she, uh, you know, as she came across it throughout the day. And then she listed some examples of the things that she'd learned so far. This is a great example of someone who's dwelling in the Word. And this is our hope for someone who's building their life on the Lord Jesus Christ on a firm foundation, on a rock. Not just for when the storms come, but for all of life. Now, I've got another illustration to show this. This is kind of our picture of our pathway for discipleship. You've seen these words, seek, love, grow, serve, for years on bulletins and newsletters and things we write about when we talk about discipleship. This is the, this is the process that we think someone follows as they come to faith in Christ. Okay, we start down on this end. We know that certain amount of the people here in this room, in our congregation, in our community, are what we would call seekers. They're people who do not yet have faith in Christ. They've not yet entered into a relationship with God through Christ. And so, but they're curious. They're, they're wondering about it. They want to know more. They're willing to dig into it. The person in this chair, the way that they grow is they like ask questions. I wonder what Jesus is like. And they, they spend time with people who love Jesus. And then at some point, those who are seeking Jesus come to what we call the line of faith. They cross over and they say, I trust in Jesus Christ. I put my faith in him. I'm born again. I believe that Jesus is my savior. And now they're a new believer. Now, someone who starts out in this chair, they're young, they're immature. They don't necessarily know everything they need to know about faith. They're just starting this journey. The way the person in this chair grows is they grow by these spiritual practices that we've been talking about. They get into the Word. They dwell in the Word. They pray. They come together to worship with God's people. When we do this, we grow, we mature, we develop. And as we develop in those ways, then we, at some point, become more mature where we go deeper. And this deepening in this chair actually has to do with saying, I want to discover how God made me. I want to discover my unique gifts and calling. I want to understand that I have a mission. When we get into this chair, we begin to explore what does it mean for us to serve Jesus and follow Him? And as we discover our unique gifts and our unique wirings, then we mature and we develop to the point where now we're servants. We reach out to other people. We give of ourselves. We surrender to God. We get engaged in following Jesus and actually leading other people to Christ. We begin to reproduce ourselves and multiply. Now, we believe that the natural progression for a disciple is to go from seeker to one who confesses faith in Christ to uh, immature person to a more mature person to a most mature person. That this is a process that we're constantly growing in. Now when we talk about dwelling in the Word, this is one of those vehicles that helps us move forward. And remember last week I said something about our reveal study indicated that a large percentage of our congregation is stuck 
And the place where people are most likely to get stuck is right here. I've come to faith, I've begun to grow, but I haven't moved much past that. The way to move past being stuck is to get engaged in the Word. Now, you might think we're like telling you this because like for the sake of growing, growing for the sake of growing, that's not really the motivation. The really motivation is a carrot that's hanging down on this end. And the carrot that's hanging down on this end is this. As we grow as disciples, we get to know Christ more. We get to understand who Christ is. We get to become more like Christ. This is the real goal of growing as disciples. It's not like so someone can see how mature I am. It's not so I can become a great person. It's because I want to know Christ. I want to walk with Him. I want to have this intimate relationship. I want to abide with Him. These are the kind of pictures that Scripture gives us of growth as a believer. I love the way Hebrews 1 describes kind of this picture of maturing and the, the carrot that's hanging out there at the end. Hebrews 1 starts this way. In the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Isn't that an amazing picture? As we're growing and maturing as disciples, we are coming to know Jesus, who is the radiance of God's glory. We're coming to know Jesus, the one who's the exact representation of God. We're coming to know Jesus, who is the one who sustains all things, who holds all things together. The house on the rock stood firm. The house on the rock knows Jesus. So, which chair are you in? And are you ready to grow to the next chair? Do you dwell or don't dwell? Are you a wise builder or a foolish builder? Which one are you and which one do you want to be? Lord God, we come before you today and I give you thanks for these good people and for their attention this morning. We thank you, God, for the beauty of your word and for the power of your Holy Spirit who's in this place to stir up within us. We give you our praise and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.